0: Hello, everyone. Cade Kate Mila-Faulsa. Cade Kate mila 100,000 welcomes to our fourth social marketing webinar um, this semester. Delighted you could join us for a very exciting discussion. Over the last few months, we have been looking at social marketing, and in particular, what you can expect from social marketing and the behavioral change domain in the years and decades to come. As part of that conversation, we have two more colleagues who are joining us today. Um, So wherever you are, whether it's morning, afternoon, or evening, you're very welcome. And our colleagues joining us today, Tina Farrity and Dr. Maeve McArdle. And they're both taking particular aspects of social marketing that we've seen significant change in over the last uh, few years, over the last while. And these are two particular topics that are worth watching out for. Tina will talk to digital technologies. So, no surprise that it's changing the landscape for social marketing. But in particular, Tina is going to point out how digital technologies are more than communication and more than promotion. And Maeve then will talk to competition, one of the key benchmark criteria for social marketing but a benchmark that has been overlooked in the past and needs particular attention now going forward. As always, we will be taking your questions and answers towards the end of the session. So for now, I ask you and welcome you to sit back and enjoy, and we will hand over to Tina.
1: Thanks, Christine.
2: Um, And good morning, everyone. It is uh, great to be joining you all this morning for um, the final social marketing webinar where we're celebrating um, 50 years of social marketing. So as Christine mentioned, my name is Tina Flaherty, and I'm a researcher within the Applied Systems Thinking Unit in the Wishker Institute um, here in NUI Galway. So my... research interests really relate to system social marketing, um, social mechanisms, and the application of digital technologies as strategic and operational components of social marketing. So I was delighted when Christine invited me to talk to you all today on digital technologies and whether they really are mere kind of communication tools or actually if they are powerful mechanisms for us as social marketers for behavioural change. Sorry, now my slides appear to
1: have stopped working. Sorry about that. So what
2: are digital technologies? So I'm sure a lot of you here today are all probably very familiar um, and have a good grasp of what they are the different types, but maybe for those of you who are less familiar digital technologies, we can consider them to really encompass the internet mobile platforms you know including our smartphones like our apple and samsung um and applications mobile applications as well as you know our social media channels like facebook twitter instagram snapchat and TikTok, and there's a whole range of other um different channels and tools so as we celebrate 50 years of social marketing we all recognize that, you know, everyday life um, is not the same as it was 50 years ago. Um, and one significant change, particularly in the past decade, has really been, you know, the growth and the adoption of um, digital technologies among us as citizens, among our policymakers, among commercial marketers, as well as our social marketers. So when these technologies kind of first emerged, we typically and some now currently still think of them as, you know, a communication or a promotional tool. Um, you know, they were incorporated typically into our promotional element of our marketing mix. Um, and the decision was surrounding these technologies was really kind of seen as um, relatively straightforward. And it was, you know, on maybe on what channel to use, what message to promote and when to kind of promote or communicate um, that particular message. And in this instance, communication was viewed as quite linear, as we see on the kind of um, diagram here on screen, where, you know, the commercial marketer, the social marketer would send the message and the citizen would receive it. Um, and would consider what to do with that message. And maybe if it was a social marketing message, consider accepting the message or altering their behavior or not. But actually, when we look at these technologies in greater detail, um, you know, the decisions surrounding these technologies, we need to consider, is it really that simple? Is it a real linear process? Even when we just think of communication, is it a linear process between the social marketer and, you know, ourselves as citizens or is it a bit more complex and are we really or should we really just view these as something we pop into our four p's for our marketing mix for um, communication and promotion so as we move through the the presentation I want you to consider that um, as we I'll give you different examples and consider then the question at the end like Are these really communication tools or actually are they some powerful tools we as social marketers can use for behavioral change? And I think if we even just take the COVID-19 pandemic and we look at the impact that this has had on our everyday life, this really kind of shows the opportunities that digital technologies provide for all of us. So even if we think prior to the pandemic, um, we would have seen the trends, you know, in the increased uptake and adoption of digital technologies into our everyday life. But really, the pandemic has accelerated this move towards digital technologies. Like even we're all on this webinar here. Pre-COVID, we would have have probably been in the university um, and it would have been face to face. And this infographic here is from the Central Statistics Office in Ireland, and it shows that the impact that, you know, um, additional technologies have had on households. And this is from, you know, January to March 2020. So I'd say even if we looked at the stats now, they would have have changed. And we've seen, you know, this real kind of um shift in the use of digital technologies with COVID, you know, we were all asked to restrict our movements. We had to kind of stay apart, come together by staying apart was um, a motto by the government. And it was, you know, it was digital technologies that played a central role in in making this attainable. We had businesses who were traditionally bricks and mortar change their business model to online education moved online, we moved to remote working where we set up at our kitchen table or in our spare room in our house, Um, you know, our shops had contactless payment. And it was really the digital technologies were key to this. And even we see that they're key to um, the kind of strategy and responses from our governments around the world. Um, You know, they were they use technologies to coordinate their responses. You know, um, they can monitor the situation for contact tracing. We have mobile apps to track your symptoms and contact tracers. Um, and we've really seen that, you know, these technologies are a key part of our life and we can no longer treat them as communication and promotional tools. So, you know, we've looked at what happened with the pandemic and how that's accelerated um, Technology use, and we see that these technologies have effectively changed our behavior. They've transformed not only the way we communicate, but how we interact, how we engage, and how we collaborate. And they provide social marketers with incredible opportunities to co create mutually beneficial behaviors, environments, and identities. But the kind of literature and evidence around their adoption and integration within social marketing is quite limited. So to kind of address this as part of some of my research, I would have carried out a systematic literature review um, on social marketing studies and I looked at it from 2014 to 2020. The diagram on screen just shows kind of the search strategy. I won't spend too much time um, on this because so I'll do a shameless plug and say that you will hopefully see a paper soon with this in it. Um. So really we were looking at, I wanted to look at, you know, social marketing interventions that where digital technologies played a major component. So where, you know, the digital formed, digital technology formed a central role in influencing behavioral change in the intervention. And from this, we can start to see, you know, that, digital technologies are not just communication tools. They actually are, offer far more opportunities um, for social marketers. And we see that you know, the adoption of digital technologies by our um, citizens, by our, our policy makers has really kind of grown in the past, particularly in the past um, decade. And there was a review carried out by um, Christophe Quebec and his colleagues in 2015, which looked at social marketing interventions and their use of digital technologies over kind of a 13 year period. And they found 20 social marketing interventions, but in comparison to our systematic review, which looked at a six year period we found 50 digital technology focused social marketing studies. So this really shows kind of the, the frequency and the escalation and the scale of um, their use within social marketing. And we also found that, you know, the incorporation of these, there was at least kind of three or more digital technologies were used in these um, in these interventions. So this kind of heat map um, just shows, you know, the scale of integration of digital technologies in social marketing and how it has expanded kind of beyond communication and promotion. So we're looking at social marketers instead, we found from this review, are actually putting these technologies kind of at the center of their efforts, um, And we can see through this heat map map the scale of um, integration. So, you know, we see the integration between the digital technologies, which are along the top, and then our social marketing um, or benchmark criteria, which I know Maeve will um, touch on some of these, the benchmark criteria later on, um, along our rows. And we can see kind of, you know, the darker colors will highlight, you know, the numbers of um, interventions integrating a particular digital technology and the lighter colors are, you know, fewer, um, fewer interventions. So we can see, you know, that this video, social media and a website are the most popular technologies used. And really we see when we look at social media and the heat map, we can see that social media is still, um, predominantly used with, for promotion, but we also see, you know, we have video can be used, um, as place, um, you know, websites can be apps can be used for service delivery. So this heat map just shows kind of the integration and how it's not just communication and promotion, but also is touching other elements of social marketing. So from the review, we found that you know traditionally, I suppose, when social marketers were developing interventions. They would talk to the target group and it would typically be kind of face to face through focus groups, interviews, that kind of thing. And obviously with the cost associated with that, um, you were confined to maybe particular, you know, geographical regions, particular um, amount of people you could talk to. Um, But we found that, you know, with digital technologies, these technologies have provided real opportunities for social marketers to explore the target audience's thoughts, behaviors, their beliefs, and incorporate these more kind of efficiently and effectively into the development of interventions. So, you know, our digital technologies now can help us to develop our intervention. We can host online surveys. So we have easy access to insights on our needs, wants, behaviors of our target audience. And we also can reach them far greater kind of from geographically. We can also, you know, test or create our maybe intervention creative um, through, you know, online panels. And because our digital technologies can help with intervention development and we have more access to kind of um, understanding the the target audience and their behaviours and their beliefs, we can then more effectively kind of um, tailor the intervention to meet um, those kind of ever always changing needs and wants of the target. So we also see that digital technologies um, also play a key role in the de- delivery of interventions. So we even found, you know, some interventions, um, they could use the software and the algorithms that were available on these digital technologies, um, you know, for greater segmentation and targeting. So you can more, you know, effectively target a particular message to a particular um, maybe group of consumers based on, you know, their behavior or their, um, their age
1: or their location. you know while they were sitting at home and you know
2: it was kind of an always on inconvenience um and get the message directly to the target audience. Um, and you could encourage you know, the desired, desired behavior. You can notify them maybe of particular um, resources that are available locally, offer you know key messages, maybe even some um, interventions used text message as a reminder system, reminding them of a particular behavior or a particular even um, event or resource um, that they could use. And, Digital technologies are also forming the product element of the intervention. So Sharon rundle Thiel um, spoke, I think, the very first webinar, um, and her some of her colleagues have developed an online game um, to tackle the issue of, for example, binge drinking. And they created two different games kind of to show um, one was showing a standard. Um, Drinking alcohol, and the other was you know to stimulate the loss of control based on alcohol consumption. So they developed this app, um, which they you know was available on the the target's mobile phone. They could interact with it, and ultimately the aim was to change behaviours. We also see that digital technologies are facilitating service delivery. So um, you know we there was one example of an intervention that. Looked at sexually transmitted diseases, and they actually used um, used these digital technologies to facilitate a testing service. You know, it allowed the um, the target audience to com- complete a number of steps at home um, on these on their devices, and then they only to do one small step then, where they had to go to um, deliver their their test um, to an actual laboratory so it made the whole process a lot easier for the the target audience Um, and we can also see you know they're offering digital technologies can be used for where you can provide your toolkit online Um, again you know it's easily um easily engaging for the the target audience and you can reach a larger amount of people we've also seen more recently that um you know We're using the social marketers are starting to use um, digital technologies and for kind of to show the target audience, um, you know, in a safe manner and maybe uh, the consequences or negative consequences of engaging in a certain behavior like, you know, engaging in alcohol, um, drugs, etc. And we found in particularly the last two to three years that social marketers are using the likes of our virtual reality and our augmented reality, where, you know, um, allow them to kind of place, this allows them to place almost the target audience in a particular kind of um, negative or, a, a risky situation, such as you know, a house party setting, um, where there's you know a presence of alcohol in a party setting, and there's different scenarios offered to show them what exactly engaging in that particular behaviour, the consequences that that can have. We also see that you know digital technologies are facilitating intervention engagement, you know, through collaboration, cooperation, co-creation, and um, you know we we see now that social marketers are really starting to leverage um which i'll touch on later kind of the the empowered citizen and getting them to be ambassadors you know creating user generated content sharing that with their family and friends so that um you know then that would encourage um because you're more likely i suppose to to kind of trust what is coming from your friends and family versus maybe um a marketer where you just feel like they're pushing something on you. So through kind of engaging with citizens um, t- through to these digital technologies, we can really kind of get them to become kind of change agents and ambassadors, and they can share, you know, the, the intervention material um, on these digital technologies. And we also have, you know, groups like Facebook groups and all that that, that can be used To connect and empower one another to share their stories, to collaborate and provide support and clarification maybe um, on particular um, behaviours or issues that they're having. An interesting finding from um, the systematic review was that digital technologies are also allowing social marketers to target more than the individual citizen. They support integrated behavioural change interventions across target audiences from our citizens to our communities. So there was one intervention low in 2018 who had a multi-level intervention. And they, the digital technologies were the, the, the primary. They were the product, the service, um, and they really leveraged these to target micro, meso, and macro target audiences. So for instance, you know, they had Facebook and Instagram to connect with the the adolescents and um who were the, the main target of the group and their kind of parents or caregivers. You know, they had text messaging to reach um the the caregivers and they then also when they looked at you know our Meso or community they had um there were the kind of community, the the store owners of the area were trained in the form of online videos um, and they could interact with the intervention and get the resources online. And then they also realized that, you know, some of the digital technologies in particular, when we look at the social media um, platform, Twitter, that that was a key platform that is used by policymakers and macro level stakeholders. And so they developed a tailored campaign to kind of, supplement the policy element of their intervention and Twitter was used to target the macro audiences and to connect with those that were interested in kind of that their remit aligned with the interventions remit. So we can see that these technologies, um, you know, allow us to target go beyond one particular level, one particular target audience and interact and engage with macro, meso and micro level, um, stakeholders. So based on kind of all of this and the examples we've shown, you know, from intervention delivery, intervention design, can we really just say that these technologies are just mere tools for communication and promotion? I think I, and hopefully you would now argue that they're not, they're actually powerful tools for social marketers in their pursuit to achieve um, behavioral change. They provide unique opportunities for social marketers to kind of design, develop, deliver interventions, to monitor and encourage engagement with the intervention, and importantly, to mobilise you know citizens, communities, and policymakers to actually become change agents. And this is really um, you know the opportunity for social marketers to mobilise citizens um, and policymakers and communities to become change agents is really kind of exemplified when we look at the social connection that we can have on these digital technologies. So, you know, our digital technologies, a key feature is that they allow us to connect and interact with one another at kind of unprecedented levels that we never kind of anticipated. Um, you know, they, they facilitate our our desire to be connected, to share our stories, to develop an understanding, you know, to exchange ideas, information, and develop an understanding of, you know, our ideas, beliefs, how we like to be perceived, um, a shared understanding of what, um, what, what is, what really matters to us, um, you know, as we kind of exchange and we develop ideas, beliefs, we co-evolve, we develop cooperations, we develop trust with our kind of online community, um, and we self-organize. So as well as that, you know, as well as a social connection that is facilitated through digital technologies, there is also, you know, the the kind of user-generated content that digital technologies allow um, allow us to create. And this has really shifted, um, shifted the power to us as citizens. It's going back to kind of my second or third slide where we saw communication as a linear process. The digital technologies have completely changed this and transformed the way we communicate and interact. Citizens now want to be actively involved in co-creating their behaviours, co-creating change. So from a social marketing perspective, we need to kind of leverage the wisdom of, you know, our empowered empowered citizen, look at how we can interact with them on these these technologies and how we can, you know, co-create, co-discover and co-design mutually beneficial behaviors and tap into the stories that they are telling on these technologies and how they're interacting with one another. Um, so what really does this tell us about social marketing moving forward? Well, firstly, I suppose the adoption of digital technologies shows us that there's a huge range of technologies available to social marketing to connect with their um, their target audience. And the use of these technologies can no longer be ignored. Um, they need to now be strategic and operational components of social marketing. We cannot consider them as, you know, a simple um, decision on what channel, what message. We need to kind of leverage these technologies. And at a broader level, I suppose these technologies have highlighted that the status quo is no longer good enough in social marketing. We cannot treat behavioural change as an event where we use particular tools and techniques to target one particular audience. Um, so, again, our diagram in the first um, or second slide, it's not a linear process. We need to um, see, a be- nonlinear event, we need to see behavioural change as a process. Recognise, you know, the social connection that um, consumers have, citizens have, not just on these technologies, but also off of these technologies. Acknowledge the linkages and relationships between our citizens and our stakeholders and how they form, adapt and change over time. Um, So, again, behavioural change isn't an event, it is a process. And this really highlights the importance of collaborating with a wide variety of multi-level stakeholders to gain an understanding of what really matters and how, through engagement and partnerships, we can collaborate with stakeholders as social marketers for powerful behavioural change. And really, digital technologies are indispensable to stakeholder engagement and the strategic and operational um, partnerships. So that is all, thank you all so
0: much. Sina, thank you. Thank you so much for a fascinating insight um, into digital technologies and what's happening. I suppose because, we, because of the year uh, that we've put behind us with COVID, as you referenced, Um, you've really signposted some important things to consider as a social marketer over the next few decades. Um, And there are questions there about strategic and operational issues and technologies for partnerships, but we'll save those for the minute. And we'll turn to Maeve and invite Dr. Maeve McArdle from Dundalk IT um, to share with us her experience and thoughts and insights, in particular into competition, which I think um, picks up on some of the issues that you're talking to, Tina. So, Maeve, over to you.
1: Thank you very much, Christine. And thank you very much, Tina. That was a really nice lead into the, the topic that I'm going to talk about now. So really, really interesting. Thank you so much. I'm going to begin by hopefully sharing my screen with you. Um, So, good morning, everyone, and thank you, Christine, for the invitation to join you today. Um, I've really enjoyed the series, um, and I'm really delighted to be here presenting in this final session, celebrating 50 years of social marketing. Um, Just to begin uh, with a little bit of background, I'm a lecturer in Dundalk Institute of Technology in the School of Business and Humanities, I'm project leader in our business research group and a visiting professor to uh, Heilbronn University in Germany. Um, In terms of my research interests, well, they lie in the area of sustainable consumption, the circular economy, pro-environmental behavior, and as you'll see today, uh, competition. Um, My research interests really converge uh, with my lecturing role today, in the topic I've chosen to discuss, which is social marketing and competition together. So um, Tina spoke and and Christine spoke about um, the benchmarks and I know it's come up for discussion a number of times and really the benchmarks, I suppose, Um, While there are a number of social marketing frameworks or planning frameworks available to use, this is probably the most commonly cited and it's obviously based on the work of Alan Andreessen. The eight benchmarks that we see today provide a consistent approach um, that we can use to inform and improve social marketing interventions. So um, the criteria are very valuable in that way. However, we know, and uh, as Tina has emphasized there just uh, um, a little while ago, that um, the benchmarks aren't always met. Um, And I know there is some debate around how many and uh, to what degree, but a series, um, very interesting series of systematic reviews of the benchmark criteria coming from work um, undertaken by a team of, of researchers in, in Griffith University have highlighted the gaps in application and particularly around competition. And I couldn't have timed it any better. Tina you know, has just highlighted the, um, the, the gap as it relates to competition in this area. Um, so very much uh, highlighted when we saw that only 13 in total had included some element of competition. Um, within the the intervention. So the revised and updated uh, benchmark criteria that we see today, these eight benchmark um, criteria, we see an emphasis now on competition analysis and competition planning. And this is what I I want to talk to today. Um, I suppose maybe just to go back a little bit and talk uh, about definitions and. Not to, not to go through all of them, obviously, but you know, competitor analysis um, it has been defined and, and researched by, by many um, academics. Um, what we found is, or what I found is, that social marketing has been described as nebulous, ill defined. Um, and the elusive nature of the concept makes the task of analysis very difficult. And I think that's one of the challenges that any social marketer faced. This is a difficult area maybe to to address. Um, so as you can see here in the slide, there are a number of, of authors uh, writing to the topic. It's not obviously a complete list over the past uh, two decades. And the interpretations of the concept uh, differ greatly. So for example, Petey and Petey describe it as a battle of ideas, which I I like that description. And Andreasen and Kotler suggest that it's whatever the customer thinks it is. You can see how this would add further to the the confusion. Here's some of the uh, quotes from the various authors. Um, It can be described as any environmental or perceptual force, and this comes from Rothschild. Uh, It competes for time and uh, and attention. So there are various different perspectives uh, or views on on what um, competition is in social marketing. In 1999, Rothschild um, maintained that many social marketers are presumptuous when they presume they're working in an environment devoid of competition. So free choice, apathy, and inertia are powerful forces that are often ignored. Hopefully this is changing because for every choice, there is an alternative. And perhaps that's a good mantra for social marketers to keep in mind. So who are the competition? Well, when I explored this aspect of competition, I found two interpretations. Um, the first points on the right hand side here to direct and indirect competitors, and when you read the benchmarks, the emphasis uh, is on your direct and indirect competitors. And that's anything that competes directly or indirectly for the target markets, audience and, and time now, a circuit a second interpretation um, is the internal and external competition. Um, and there are a few authors writing to this so This is whether competition originates from an external entity or internally. So that adds another layer of of complexity to the whole issue. So what are we faced with? Well, we're faced with many different sources of competition. Um, It could be a case of, you know, from a a target audience point of view that the better things to do or Maybe it's a case of entrenched um, behavior or habits, inertia, apathy, and so on. Um, And and competition, obviously, may originate from other social marketing uh, programs or interventions or from commercial organizations, as we often see. So let's have a look at a a proposal around a definition, and this um, definition captures um, a a number of different uh, perspectives here. So it's any external or perceptual force, both internal and external to the target audience that impedes the adoption of the target behavior. I think this definition captures the various uh, views and the definitions um, uh, of competition previously. So when we think of competition, uh, perhaps our go-to initially is, is direct competition. That makes a lot of sense. So the behavior that we think the target audience would rather do than the target behavior. So exercise and healthy diet, perhaps it's, um, you know, Netflix and chill is the, or screen time and, and fast food. Um, you know, when, when we think about it, we often, the emphasis tends to be on the, the the um, direct competition or the directly competing uh, behavior. Um, so, if you consider, for instance, healthy diet and exercise, um, you see here the corresponding suggestion or what might be the um, competing behavior or an existing behavior, and how um, how do we address this? So, and does one. A particularly interesting um, aspect of of competition is the perspective. Um, The perspective taken when it comes to competition. So not surprisingly, the perspective taken is that of the social marketer. So when I explore competition, I am going to try and identify the competition from the point of view of the organization. And if I was to identify the competition from that perspective, I wouldn't be looking at the perspective of the target uh, market or the target audience. Um, And the, the problem with only taking the perspective of the organization is that we're really only seeing one side of the picture. The debate around this obviously continues, and it leads to further complexity. And I, you know, there are various views on this. You know that if we start uh, taking all of these considerations, then we're going to end up with something very unmanageable and less defined. So, therefore, whatever the target or recommended behaviour or intervention, whatever it is, we need. To be aware of the competition from all perspectives I propose and plan for that. So this is where I bring in um, some words of wisdom from Michael Porter. So many of you will have or or will know of Michael Porter's work in the area of strategy, um, uh, maybe as in in the past as a student or um, in your current uh, work or line of work. So Michael Porter, for those of you who don't know Michael Porter, um, is a Harvard Business uh, School professor, he's an advisor to the government, he's an award-winning author, and he has managed to keep management students and practitioners busy for decades. Um, My intention here is to look at what we might learn from Porter's view on competition and how it might help. Uh, competition analysis and planning in social marketing. So I, I, what you'll see here then on the slide is a summary of um, adapt, adapted uh, approach to um, or a framework for social marketers that you might use. When it comes to competitor analysis, the first stage is to define, define the relevant industry. So you begin with a definition of the scope. and the scope of the industry and let's say industry, you could replace that with behavior. This is often missing from analysis and that's true for you know, commercial organizations um, as well. So be very clear about the, the definition or the boundary or scope of the, the industry in a sense. So if it's too broad, then it becomes unmanageable and then everybody's a competitor. Um, If it's too narrow, then you leave some important competitors out of consideration. So that's the first stage, you would define the the relevant industry. The next stage would be to define or identify the participants in the industry. And that is all of the competitors, uh, commercial organizations, competing behaviors, existing behaviors, other social marketing, programmes, and they all fall fall into various uh, categories that I mentioned earlier, the internal and external direct and indirect competition. And then you've generated a a list within the boundaries or defined of the of the industry. And the final stage is to assess the drivers of competition and industry structure. So let's look at an example here. And this is you know, an area I'm particularly interested, this whole area of, of social marketing, pro-environmental behavior. And um, when it comes to pro-environmental shopping, um, what does the process look like? Well, if we go through the three steps, define the industry. Uh, What is the scope of competition? Um, Are we looking at green products such as household products, uh, products made with recycled uh, or reduced packaging or recycled content? So at this stage, we need to be clear um, or need to clearly define the scope so that we can accurately identify the competition. And in this case, uh, or at this stage, we also define the geographic scope. you know, for for the example here, I'm looking at the Irish context. The next stage is to identify the participants in the industry. Um, Now, these will be easier to determine once we've identified a definition of the industry. And as you can see here, some of the competing labels we might see when we're making a green choice, such as shop local or buy Irish campaign so we're we're bombarded with all of these different messages and um, that have a competing perhaps um, agenda. Um, interestingly enough, a lot of them were very green. Um, uh, so well, maybe not surprisingly. Um, as we identify the participants, then we can categorize them here uh, in each of the areas. So whether they're internal or external, direct or indirect. And as you can see here, you get a sense of sort of the um, various different competition that we face. So internally, it may be skepticism or apathy. and Externally, we face a lot of competition from multinational brands, from eco-friendly brands, from retailing related uh, competition um, and externally uh, also then we have our competing pro-environmental behaviors and shopping behaviors so there's all sorts of competition out there that we face when we're addressing this um, area but we need to be clear and um, a little bit like uh, uh, um, Rocha said that we can't ignore it it's you know just because we don't maybe like this idea of so much competition, it's not uh, an option to ignore the competition. The final step is to address the drivers of competition. And, um, you know, what are the drivers? Um, the Using a framework like this, and, and, and everyone will be familiar with this, helps us to understand sort of the, the underlying drivers of change. The drivers of change, typically come from the macro environment, maybe change in legislation or regulation or economic factors or demographic factors, or as Tina mentioned there a little while ago, uh, technological factors. So these are the drivers of competition and drivers of change in the industry as such. Okay, so finally then I want to, to look at the implications here for social marketers. So having gone through the process, what does that mean? And based on that analysis or the work that we've just conducted, um, how will we address them? Well, there are a number of options and implications I would suggest for social marketing strategy. The first is to consider the position of the intervention. So, once the analysis is complete, you as a social marketer need to think about the position of the intervention relative to the competition. Being aware, obviously, of who is the strongest or what is the strongest force um, within the industry and how best to position our, ourselves relative to those. Um, and, you know, Porter talks a lot about, you know, um, zero-sum competition in industry. And that maybe that's often what we face, you know, in this sort of um, environment. The second option is to exploit the change. Um, And I think, um, as I say, this speaks really nicely to Tina's view on this whole area of technological change and these digital tools and what they offer. So anticipate and exploit the changes in the competitive forces. Things are changing in how we're doing things, how we're consuming, how we're, and so on. And how do we actually um, embrace that? And finally then shape the balance of competitive forces to change the nature of competition. So that's changing really the way in which you compete. Look for new channels to operate, explore opportunities to change the system that you're competing in. Okay. Um, so just to give you a, a sense of you know, where maybe we can learn a little bit from Porter and maybe embrace um, this whole area of competition. Um, and it would be nice to see more and more of this emerging in, in the research and well, particularly in the interventions in the future. We can't ignore the competition. Um, so we need to embrace it and how do we do that? So Thank you for your time today. I hope you found the discussion interesting and if you have any questions, I'm very happy to answer them.
0: Maeve, thank you. Thank you for a fascinating insight into competition and competition for social marketing and also um, an insight into what the next decade or two decades or possibly 50 years looks like for social marketing as well. Um, So for both of you, one of of the questions that's coming in is about um, sustainable development goals, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and wicked problems. Um, And the question there is, how do you see digital technologies and competition um, going forward in relation to the Sustainable Development Goals. Um, So, I don't know, Tina, I'll call on you first and then hand over to Maeve.
2: Sorry, I was muted there. Um,
0: Yeah, I suppose, like even I had
2: the Sustainable Development Goal number 17 as my last slide. I think digital technologies will be key for um, for partnerships um, because you know they give us an opportunity, I suppose, to connect with a whole range of stakeholders we might never have had access to traditionally. Um, and you know we can, you know, we can connect with people even we probably people in this webinar now, or even from you know Australia. New Zealand. Um, So it gives us more opportunities to create and collaborate and to kind of exchange knowledge and information um, and use that kind of, I suppose, to the best um, that we can to kind of come together and change behaviors.
0: And Tina, on that, um, did, did you find any evidence of the digital technology? I know a lot of your talk was about digital technologies and a particular target group whose behavior you want to change. And you mentioned the systems. Did you find any evidence in the systematic review about digital technologies being used internally, say, you know, between the social marketer and the funder or other or, you know, the organizations that were partnering up together?
2: Um, So not specific, they weren't specifically mentioned in the reviews. I suppose, you know, these will be um, scholarly journals. So they probably wouldn't, you know, have that information in. But I know like anecdotally, um, like technologies are used to kind of, you know, collaborate with, you know, as you said, the social marketer and the funder or that side of things. um, But in the actual review the ones we found that they weren't um kind of i suppose it wasn't stated in it
0: okay so a nice area for to keep your eye on both as a practitioner and also as a researcher and Maeve, then turning to competition um so you i mean you mentioned circular economy so clearly that's one of the sustainable development goals do you see Um, competition analysis and planning happening for other sustainable development goals what's the evidence there for social marketing
1: yeah I, i i i agree with tina this the area of collaboration is going to be really important here i mean to achieve these goals um is, is going to be quite a challenge. Um, and I know business is more involved as well, you know, and we're seeing more and more engagement with the framework around the SDGs. But um, in, in terms of the, um, I suppose, competition, we would be naive to assume that there is no competition. The competition is the status quo, and that needs to, to be addressed if, if we are to achieve this, uh, the, the SDGs going forward. So I, I think awareness of the competition is vital, you know, for any, um, any organization working uh, towards particular goal um, or objective within the goals. And the, the challenge of change is going to be uh, addressing the competitive forces that are out there. So I think, yeah, I think it's going to be really important.
0: So, is it fair then, Maeve? So, when you, you know you, you used Porter, which was lovely. So, that raised two questions for me. Given that social marketing traditionally would draw heavily upon commercial marketing tools and techniques, and you really see that in the digital domain, how come social marketing hasn't drawn on Porter before now, given that he's a seminal author, both in marketing and in competition? What's your thinking on that front?
1: Uh, that's, a, that's an interesting question. I think we do, maybe, um, but maybe not directly. I think some of the um, interpretations maybe around the value chain is, is very relevant, obviously. But, you know, areas such as the five forces analysis and that don't translate you know, comfortably maybe within the, the social marketing or, um, domain itself. But certainly within mar- marketing, it's used and applied I- extensively. So why haven't we uh, borrowed or, or you know, adopted or adapted some of the techniques that he offers? Um,
0: and Mike, when you talked about, you know, defining the industry, I thought, well, now that we've moved into macro social marketing, system social marketing, and we have the sustainable development goals and grand challenges as well. It seems like um, as we get into defining systems and more system social marketing, that you know, a good tool in your toolkit would be more detailed competitive analysis. Mm-hmm. So Mm -hmm. is it a case that social marketers have been able to get away with not doing detailed competitive analysis because they've been operating at one behavioral change level? But when you move from one behavioral change level to two, or as Tina was saying, you know, three levels in a system, Mm -hmm. then um, the competitive analysis becomes more important, more
1: critical to the success of the intervention? Absolutely. And... I think with that um, expansion into the the meso and the, the macro level, that it adds more to the complexity. So perhaps um, social marketing is a little bit guilty of you know maybe skipping over the comp- complete competitor analysis because it's not easy, you okay. know. And, and you know maybe this goes back to the definitions and clarity around that. And I think this is where defining the boundaries or the scope of um, the industry, to, to for want of a better description, is going to make it, you know, simplify it a little bit. But certainly as you, as you scale up, you're going to add more complexity.
0: Okay, and we have a lovely comment coming in here um, all the way across the pond, uh, i.e. the Atlantic Ocean, thanks to our colleagues joining us in America, saying that Nancy Lee and others are working to address social marketing's competition with a coordinated initiative to launch or relaunch social marketing. Um, So that's interesting to hear you know, in terms of looking forward and the next 50 years competition, we can expect it to feature on the landscape and connected to that then um, are clearly the digital technologies. So the other um, question that's coming in here for both of you relate, it's looking forward and it's looking at the strategic role. So both of you gave a lot of practical examples Um, but you're being asked here in this question to kind of look forward 10 years and talk about the strategic role for social marketing. And I I assume that's the strategic role for digital technologies and the strategic role for competition. So it's kind of in the territory we're talking about. Maeve, if I start with you. Mm -hmm.
1: I think we we need to think long term. You know, we've we've just come through 50 years of, of social marketing and, you know, we have um, obviously, the the challenges you know some challenges remain, and thinking long term is really important when we when it comes to the strategic role. I, I'm delighted to hear that there's there's work happening in terms of our our, our colleagues and in, in America looking at this whole area of, of competition because that gap has existed for a while, and we have skirted around it a little bit. So it's really nice that that's going to be addressed in in the the future, So, yes, well, absolutely. I think we, we're still learning. We're, we're still growing. I think there are opportunities to, um, I suppose, expand and learn more in the future. And, and that's important.
0: And Tina, over to you, because Strate- you, you talked to digital technologies and, you know, strategic operational, and you gave us a lot of um, excellent examples, operational. Could you say a little bit more on the strategy front?
2: So I suppose I'd agree with Maeve that, you know, from a social marketing perspective, we need to think long term. And I suppose digital technologies are kind of um, you know, they're putting, they will make us as social marketers put our people um and strategy, you know, our people at the kind of center of what we do. Um so I think from a strategic point of view, we can utilize digital technologies to kind of look at how um we can interact and engage with consumers um, look at kind of the mechanisms underlying their behavior. Um, You know, it's not, I think traditionally in social marketing we've looked at, you know, one level and we just take kind of behaviors as, you know, you know, we'll say for example, obesity, it's like, Oh, you know, eat less, move more, but there's actually a lot more um, kind of that impacts on that and influences that. And I think, you know, we can use kind of the, these digital technologies to look exactly at what are the underlying mechanisms that underlie our behaviors um, and how can we use these and kind of target these then to, um, I suppose, t- to co-create behavioral change with the target audience um, so that we actually have sustainable behavior and we need to see behavior as a process rather than event. And I think digital technologies really highlight that, that it's not, you know, one thing at a particular point in time, it's Over time, we need to look at how relationships and and partnerships change and evolve, and how behaviors change and evolve.
0: Well, Maeve and Tina, thank you for some fascinating insights into social marketing and what's happening, and also into the signposts there for what we can expect over the next decade or two decades and into the next 50 years. Sadly, we have come to the end of our time together for today for Friday, I was gonna say Friday morning, but of course that depends on where you're coming from. So for Friday morning, afternoon and evening. And I would like to thank you for joining us for this short series of social marketing webinars for the spring. Uh, We finish here now for the summer, but we will be back in the autumn with another set of social marketing webinars. And we hope you will join us then. In the meantime, keep well, keep safe and have a very good summer. Signing off everyone and thanking you for your time and valuable questions and insight.